Well, if anyone besides Diane brought their paper Bibles with them, go ahead and open to Genesis chapter 37. Uh, we'll be there in just a moment. I want to say welcome to all of you this morning. Uh, it's good to see you, and especially those that are first-time guests. We appreciate you joining us this morning. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. We're really glad that you, you're here with us. You're never going to believe the dream that I had last night. Now, when someone says that to you, what do you anticipate hearing next? If you're anything like me, what you anticipate is some crazy story that makes you say, oh no, or chuckle, or think that's crazy. But whatever the story is, do you take it very seriously? Now, there are those who are apt to consider if their subconscious is trying to communicate to them through a dream. But most of us do not determine our future based on REM sleep revelations. We're much more likely to dismiss it as a bad reaction to too much late night spicy food, rather than viewing it as an authoritative message. By and large, we don't put a whole lot of stock in dreams. And this is one of those differences between us and people living in the ancient world. In the ancient world, people believed that Dreams were from the divine realm. They believed it wasn't just the subconscious speaking, it was a message from one of the gods. And today as we continue this new sermon series entitled No Ordinary Joe, we discover that Joseph at the age of 17, he receives a dream from the living God. The God of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not just once, but twice. Now, just to be clear, he didn't receive the same dream twice, but on two different occasions, he received the same message through a dream. And that's significant. And let me explain why. Because in the ancient world, it was believed that if you received the same message through a dream twice, it was a settled matter. It was going to happen. We learn this later in the story when Joseph interprets a dream for Pharaoh. And he says this in Genesis chapter 41 and verse 32. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God. God will do it soon. And so what exactly had been settled in God's mind about Joseph's destiny? It was settled. He had determined that Joseph was going to rise to a position of political power. Now, the when and the where and the how, that isn't given by God in the dream. But it is clear that Joseph is destined to rule in some capacity. I want you to listen to the dreams. Genesis chapter 37, verse 6 and 7, and then verse 9 begin here, he said to them, listen to this dream I had. He's talking to his brothers. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Verse 9, and then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars we're bowing to me. Let me press pause on our story right here for just a moment to share this observation. 
And the observation is this, just as Joseph, or as God had a dream for Joseph's life, he has a dream for your life as well. There are some things that God has settled in his mind that he desires to do through you, to bless other people, to impact this world, to bring glory to his name. It's settled, he wants it, he sees it, he envisions it. And I hope this morning as you listen to that statement, it does at least two things for you. One, I hope it helps some of you relax, especially those of you who are around the same age that Joseph was when he received this dream. Listen, you may not know if you want to go to college. You may not know if you go to college what you want to major in. You may not know exactly what God's plan is for the rest of your life. And I want to say to you this morning, that's all right. Uh, Joseph, he didn't have the answers to those questions at age 17 either. You don't have to have it all figured out. And you don't have to feel embarrassed or pressured when one of us older people come up to you and ask you to lay out the next decade of your life for us. (laughs) If it helps you to know this, I'm going to just let you in on a little secret. We're trying to just make small talk with you, and that's our go-to conversation starter. (laughs) Where are you going to college? What are you going to major in? We ask those questions. If we could think of anything cooler to talk about with you, we would. We can't. For a while, we thought it was Taylor Swift. We don't like her anymore. She's a Chiefs fan. So we don't talk to you about that. We're going to talk to you about college and what you're going to do with your life. And so I want you to be okay with just responding to our tired old question with a quick, I don't have a clue. And it's okay. Now, yes, eventually you're going to have to figure out some type of career path, but There's no reason for you to feel pressure in trying to figure out what God desires or what he wants to do through your life. I I love these words that I read some time ago. One person said this, you don't discover God's will, God's will discovers you. You don't find it, it finds you. Yeah, you probably need to think through that just a little bit, but I find in so many ways that there are scriptures and my own experience in life that affirms that. That you can trust God has a plan for your life, that he has a dream for your life, and at the right time, he's going to reveal it to you. But there are some things that you have to do, some responsibility that you have to assume as well. You say, what's that? Well, first, uh, you need to pay real close attention to God. You need to be close enough relationally with God that you can hear and discern his will, his dream for your life over and above your own. Folks, it is so easy to get caught up in chasing the American dream that you miss out on the bigger, greater dream that God has for your life. Now, that's not to say that God doesn't take into consideration the dreams and desires that you have for your life. I believe that he does. I think he honors that. One of the great promises of Scripture is Psalm chapter 37, verse 4. It says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Here's the key. Make sure you start with the first part of that verse. Take delight in the Lord. When your heart is fully devoted to God, what you're going to discover is that suddenly your dreams intersect with his dreams in a beautiful way. The second thing you need to do is you need to have faith. 
And faith in who? Do I have faith in my abilities and capabilities? Well, yes, it certainly helps to have self-confidence, but that's not what's most important when it comes to experiencing the dreams that God has for your life. Obviously, you need to have faith in God. Now, this is especially important when life doesn't seem to be working out the way that you planned it, the way that you wanted it to. As we continue to read this story of Joseph, as it progresses, what you'll begin to see and realize is God's dream for Joseph became a reality because Joseph continued to trust in God when, when life was hard and difficult and circumstances were incredibly uncertain. But he just stuck with God. He trusted him, didn't waver. Now, the third thing you need to do is this. You need to embrace the dream. Embrace the dream. God puts dreams on people's hearts all of the time. He gives people a dream to adopt a child, to go on a mission trip, to plan a church, to start a nonprofit, to move into an under-resourced neighborhood to serve those who are in need. But too often, here's what we do. We back off real quickly, and we attribute that to too much late-night spicy food. And if God lays a dream on your heart, Go after it. Go after it with all the faith and energy that you can possibly muster. Because he wants to do some great things through your life. Now, the second thing that I hope, just knowing that God has a dream for your life, does for you, is I, I hope it makes you excited about life. I, I, I do a little. I'm glad, Holden. I hope a lot down the road. It does. It gives you a reason to jump out of bed instead of just kind of roll out of bed like so many of us do on Monday morning. And no doubt that life can be kind of monotonous. We kind of get in the habit routine. And I'm sure there were days like that for Joseph as he was just working wherever he was supposed to work, maybe out in the fields, maybe taking care of the, the sheep. But just knowing that God has a dream for us, it should fill us with this sense of anticipation. It, just knowing that he's doing something, that he's working, that he's moving things forward. And he is. All through Scripture and all through this story, the story of Joseph, we see God's sovereignty at work. I want to turn your attention to one of the earliest places we see this in the story. Genesis chapter 37, verse 12 through 17. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing their flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. And very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. And then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? And he replied, I'm, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. And so get the picture. Joseph is roaming around this field looking for his brothers, but his brothers are 14 miles away. It's kind of like if I was looking for you this morning and you're sitting right here, or maybe, no, I'm looking for you right here, but you happen to be in Palo Alto. Okay, we're, we're nowhere close to each other. 
Now, thankfully, before Joseph gets frustrated and throws up his hands in frustration and just says, you know what, I'm going back home to tell my dad I can't find them, he bumps into this guy who just happens to know where his brothers have gone to. That's an extraordinary good luck, isn't it? I mean, just to be out roaming around in a field, a remote field, what are the odds that he's actually going to bump into anybody, let alone somebody that knows where his brothers have headed off to? Odds are actually really, really good because God is organizing this whole thing. You see, that's what the writer of Genesis really wants us to see in this text. He wants us to understand that God arranged this. He orchestrated this encounter because he wanted to make sure that this man helped Joseph go to the place where his brothers were so his brothers could then set in motion the events, would eventually take Joseph to Egypt, which in turn, he would eventually rise to a place of political power, just as God told him was going to happen. You see, what we often chalk up to this happenstance is often God's providence. God brings people into our life. He creates opportunities. He allows certain things to take place all because he is using those things and those people to move along that plan, that dream that he has for our lives. Now, not every encounter is significant, but every encounter has the potential to change your life. And those who live with this type of awareness, they, well, they don't brush people off and they don't burn bridges and they don't waste opportunities in life because they know God just might be working in that moment. Reminded of a friend of mine who, upon graduating from college, he really had this huge dream of making it as a singer-songwriter. And so he did what all those who are pursuing that dream do. He took every gig that he could possibly find, especially if it was paying or offered food, one or the other. He would say yes. And so one night after performing a set at a wedding reception, he's standing there when a woman approaches him and She's compliments, and she tells him how much she just really enjoyed his music, his songwriting, his, his singing. And he says, thank you. But he doesn't show much interest in continuing the conversation. He didn't have time for chit-chat because there were hot wings waiting for him at the buffet table. What he did not know, but later found out that night, is this particular woman who approached him and complimented him on his music worked for a record label in Nashville. And he did not find that out until it was too late. She had already left. Now, was that the conversation that God had arranged to change his life? I don't know. The point is simply this. He missed out on the opportunity to even find out because he did not think that God could be working at this time in this space and place. One well, of the very best things you can do in your life is just live with the constant awareness that God's working because He's working. And you want to walk through life with this anticipation that God may be working through this person. God may be working through this event. God may be working through this circumstance. God may be in this moving me forward towards the dream that He has for my life. Now, God gave Joseph this dream, but we quickly find out that not everyone was Real excited about it. Let's pick up the story in Genesis 37. I'm going to read verse 8 and then verse 10 and 11 and then verse 17 through 19. 
His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? Get this. And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. 17b, so Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. After a little further discussion, the brothers decide, all right, we're not going to kill him. But they're so bent on snuffing out his dream that they sell him off to a group of gypsies. And in many ways, it appears that these gypsies just happen to be traveling by at the right time. But again, it's further evidence that God's providential care is at work in making sure that this dream moves forward, this plan moves forward. And just as Joseph met opposition, you'll meet opposition. I don't say that to discourage you. That's the last thing that I want to do. We have way too many people going through life who give zero consideration to what God may want to do through their lives to bless people and make the world a better place and bring Him glory. We need far more wild-eyed dreamers for the kingdom of God. But at the same time, please know that if you have a dream that will advance God's purposes in this world, the evil one is going to do everything possible to put a stop to it. And one of the ways that he loves to work is he loves to work through naysayers. He loves to work through those individuals who will come up to you and they'll hear about your, their, your dream and they'll say, you know what, that's silly. And they'll say, you're not the right person. Or they'll say, we've tried that in the past and it failed. Or they'll say, look at all the holes that you have in your plan. There'll be some people who go so far that they'll do everything they possibly can to undermine your plan of action and your dream. I may have shared this example with you a while ago, maybe early on. I don't remember. It just, it really sticks with me. Uh, it, it's a good buddy of mine. He had this dream, this vision. He wanted to preach for a church that was baptizing and discipling people. And so a few years ago, he and his leadership got together, and they, they kind of put together a plan to see if that might happen, and they rolled that plan out to the congregation. And within a short period of time, they started baptizing people, and they had people in discipling relationships, more so than they had had in several years. It was an exciting time. They grew and grew and grew. They had to go to two worship services. Things were going very well, but not everybody was excited about that plan. And so there were a group of people within that church who decided to go after my buddy, and they began to make uh, just accusations about his character. In fact, they accused him of saying some really harmful things to them in personal conversations. Now, were those accusations true? No, they were not. In fact, their leadership did a deep dive into whether or not those, those conversations took place, discovered that they did not, that it was all fabricated, 
But here's, here's the heartbreaking part of the story for my friend and for others who hear about the story, know about the story. It's this, is that leadership decided, you know what, we're going to back off our focus on discipleship because we want to keep peace among those who are in the church. So fast forward to today, that church is back to one service, kind of in the same old rut. And my buddy is now working a secular job where he's discipling people in the ways of Jesus, whether they realize it or not. But he's not preaching week to week. And that breaks my heart in a lot of ways. You see, in a world of dream killers, we need far more dream builders. We need more people who are quick to say, how, how can I support you in your dream? What can I do to help bring this about? And why aren't more people supportive? I think for a couple of the same reasons that Joseph's brothers weren't supportive. One is this. Oftentimes people feel threatened. We see that in the life of Joseph's brothers. They thought, Man, we, just, we don't want to be ruled over this guy. And for the same reason, a lot of people today, they get threatened by a dream because they think, well, that threatens my position. That threatens the way I like to do things. That threatens what feels comfortable. The story I just told, that threatens that I don't want to go to two worship services because I feel like I don't know everybody. Whatever it is. You, you see this play out in a husband who doesn't support his wife's dream of going back to college so that she can be a school counselor because he doesn't want to take on more responsibility at home. You see it in the parent who really kind of tries to kill that child's dream who wants to go be a medical missionary because they think, well, that, someday that means that I might have to travel a long way to go see my, my grandkids. And that's an inconvenience. And so they start killing dreams. And the second reason that people kill dreams is because they're jealous. This is a huge factor for Joseph's brothers. One, they were, Joseph that, or, uh, they were jealous that Joseph was more loved by their father, but now he has these dreams and they know this. That means God's favor is upon him. That doesn't sit well with them. And oftentimes it doesn't sit well with us when we hear about the dreams that other people have because some way we have this idea that if, if their dreams come to fruition, if those things happen for them, then it means somehow it's a loss for us as if God only has a limited number of blessings to go around, which I think we know logically just isn't true. But what happens sometimes is we start putting up barriers to people's dreams instead of trying to really clear the way so their dreams might become reality. Joseph's brothers, here's what they eventually discovered, that the heart of God's dream for Joseph, for him to rise in political power, there was also a blessing for them. Their lives were going to be much, much better. And I want you to remember that the next time that you're tempted to throw cold water on somebody's dreams. That in doing so, you may be drowning out a future blessing that God has in store for your life, or maybe this church, or maybe the world. So be very careful. And what seems that someone's trying to pour cold water in your dream, how should you respond? Well, first, listen to the opposition. Not everybody who questions your dream is trying to kill your dream. Sometimes people are just trying to be helpful and, and help you think through what it is you're really dreaming about. 
You know, if you have a dream of one day going to Italy, or if you have a dream of one day owning a Porsche, that's okay. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that dream, but I'd probably want to question if that's really coming from God himself. Because I tend to believe that the dreams that come from God, again, are always going to move us in the direction of blessing other people, or making the world a better place, or bringing God glory. So sometimes you begin to realize when people question, you know what, this dream, it's not necessarily a bad dream, but it's more a dream that I have than it is necessarily a dream from God. And so I need to work with it in that way. And sometimes I realize when people question a dream that maybe I haven't thought it completely through. Maybe there's more work that needs to be done before we move forward because you don't necessarily want a false start. And so don't be afraid and don't be intimidated when people ask questions about your dreams. But after you listen to them and consider it, if you still feel like God is the one who's pressing in on you with this dream, my encouragement to you is to move forward with confidence. And if there's anything that gives confidence, it's the scripture, the close of Genesis chapter 37, verse 31, uh, Genesis 37, starting in verse 31 through 33. It says, then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, we found this. Examine it to see whether it's your son's robe. He recognized it and said, it is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured it. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. The brothers, they don't kill the dreamer, but it appears they have killed the dream but then we read these words in verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Know this. When God has a dream for your life and you walk in obedience, nobody can stop it. Now, sometime back we shared with you what we believe is many ways, a dream, a vision for this church. It's not unique to us. It's the vision, the dream that Jesus gave his disciples for, for all followers of his. It's to go and make disciples who make disciples of all nations. It's our focus. It's what we want to be about. And we've developed this, what we call a game plan. It's kind of like puzzle pieces. It's not sequential fast can't get that word out it's not steps necessary it's puzzle pieces think of it that way but here are the things we're trying to do we're trying to create an invitation culture we want everybody to be invited to experience jesus we're trying to practice radical hospitality we want people to experience the love of jesus through that we want to teach and train in the ways of jesus we want people to apprentice to follow jesus we want to lovingly serve others because that is the way that Jesus expressed his love to us. And we want to live on mission every moment of every day, realizing that we've been, been placed here by God to be about his kingdom purposes. Now, we're thrilled by the way that we see God blessing this effort in so many ways, and he deserves all of the credit. It's only through his goodness that any good is done. But I wanted to share with you just in closing just a, a couple of slides. We'll go to that first slide, Vivian. And again, we don't, we don't measure things necessarily by numbers. This is just one way. It's far from the most important way to measure growth. We're much more interested in spiritual growth. 
But you'll notice since 21 to 23, there's been an increase about 53 or 35% in just weekly attendance here with us. It's still a long way from where we were pre-COVID, uh, but God's blessing us with increasing our, our family. Last year, we had 1,023 unique attendees. That means just uh, people who came through our doors as guests, as visitors, might be local, might be from other places, family members, whoever, but that was up 53%. And so we're thankful that new people are coming to just experience what we're doing here. Next slide, Vivian, if you would, please. These are the people that were baptized last year. We have several students and several adults. We're so thankful for this, for people who made decisions to become followers, devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And next slide. These were new members, uh, people who said, this is the church family that we want to belong to, we want to be a part of, we want to be on mission, on vision with this church family. And we just were honored that you're a part of our family, and we thank you so much for being here, and you're sharing your gifts with us. It makes a huge difference. Let's go to the next slide. In our small groups, we talked about it a few weeks ago, we believe this is absolutely essential for people to really be connected to one another and to continue to grow in the ways of Jesus. Right now, the total number of adults in small groups is 147. We have nine groups with 81 participants in traditional groups, five men's groups, five women's groups, and you can see the number of participants there as well. And so we're thankful for that. Let's go to the next slide. And these were some of the highlights from 2023, and you'll see what area we tried to address. And I'm not going to hit every one of these just for sake of time. But one of the highlights was the redesign of the Welcome Center. Uh, you've noticed the difference that made as a congregating place for people to experience fellowship and community with one another. One of the primary ways that we're trying to use that is that Tuesday meet and greet. And so every Tuesday morning when Marion's leading chapel in here for CCS students, uh, many of us, the staff, we're in the Welcome Center with coffee and tea, and we're trying to make connections with parents who come through to be a part of that, to see their kids perform during chapel. We're just trying to create relationships and hope that those continue to advance and grow, um, just because we love people and we care about people. Uh, yeah, of course, we're all enjoying the new auditorium chairs, right? Everybody comfortable and the doors out here. That's made some difference. I'm uh, thrilled that the, uh, Jeff Miller and Bob Fanjoy started a new adult Bible fellowship class this past year, teaching and training the ways of Jesus. And so many of you are part of that great class. We had worship participant training at the beginning of last year. A marriage seminar took place. MOPS continues to be a huge benefit to so many people and a gateway for so many young families to come experience Campbell. I, I'm so grateful for that ministry. Love our Young at Heart group. They meet every second uh, Thursday of the month, led by Ken and Donna and just our our older Christians who are such a delight, they eat a meal together. They're kind enough to invite us to be a part of that. And if you have a, a Thursday that you want to swing by and be a part of that, you will absolutely love it. You, and you don't even have to be that age. So come on over and, and join them. Uh, Friends Speak uh, had training and then kind of a relaunch. And so they're teaching English using the Bible from people all over the world. I was so thankful for this. Last Easter, you'll remember Mary and, made, Mary and Donna made such uh, just a, a shift in the way that we did our program with our kids. They wanted to be much more intentional about sharing the story of Jesus. And so as our kids came to hunt Easter eggs, they went through an experience in which they heard the story of Jesus. 
That's just living on mission, making sure those families and those kids know the gospel, know the story. We went through the Explore God experience together. We continue to have mission supports. Uh, Made in the Streets, which is our work in Kenya that we support, uh, all the good work that they're doing there. EEM, that is the organization that distributes Bibles all over the world to make sure people can read the Word of God. Oasis is the work that I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago in India with the school and the orphanage that we support to make sure kids are having the opportunity to be taken care of physically, but also spiritually as well. And so just praise God for the good things that happened there. So we think about this coming year. There are some things that we wanted to uh, kind of, as we went through a process of, of just kind of dreaming and exploring some things we might, thought might be important. Again, I'm not going to walk through every one of them. You can see those and where they address the need Q1 means that was kind of our emphasis for the first quarter. We're working on better signage to help people get through our uh, campus here and make sure they get to where they need to be, want to be. Home team nights is something new uh, towards radical hospitality. I I won't go into that in detail, but just know this. It's an intentional effort on the behalf of uh, staff and a few of our elders just to say we want to do a better job of getting people into our homes especially those who are new to this congregation are needing to connect relationally with other people. And so that's taking place throughout the year. And it it doesn't have to be us. If you have a gift for hospitality and you think, man, I'd love to be a part of that and invite people into my home just for a meal and fellowship, let us know. We'll tell you all about it. We'd love for you to join us on that. We'd like to do a better job of providing classes and resources for those who are investigating Christianity. Um, You'll notice in the Friday email, I'm trying to just add a little comment here and there of resources, prayers, or books, or whatever it might be to help people as they move forward in their relationship with Jesus. Open Gym is a huge opportunity that brings in people from the community that happens throughout the year. We want to invest in our leaders. The Super Sunday was an event that we were hoping to do. We didn't get to it. It was going to take place on Super Bowl Sunday. We've kind of pushed that idea to later in the summer. We just didn't have enough time to really get it off the ground this year. We're going to have a parenting seminar this year. We're going to have a marriage seminar again this year. Um, Those are some of the things that are coming. Don't know for sure about that last one. Jeff has requested it. We'll see. I haven't made any promises on that, but we'll see on that one. Uh, We'll we'll do our best. So those are some highlights. If, If there's more that you want to know, uh, we'd be happy to talk to you about it. We're excited about it. But what I'm most excited about is this. We get to do it together, and we get to do it knowing that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit who leads us. So if there's anything up there that is not of the Holy Spirit, we're just praying that he shuts that down and that he sends us in the direction that he would lead us and what he wants us to be about. I'm so thankful to be a part of this church. I'm so thankful to see uh, people's lives transformed. I'm so thankful for the way that God works on my life, uh, and I'm thankful for the friendship and community that we have. Thank you for being a part of it, and thank you for making things happen here.